San Francisco, the SYSK treat. <laughs> yes, San Francisco, Oakland, the entire Bay Area, and dare I say, all of Silicon Valley. Yeah. We love you, and we're coming back to Sketchfest this year in January. Yeah, we're going to be there on Sunday, January 15th at 1 p.m., a very rare afternoon show. Yeah. Uh, and we will be ready to go. So you guys better be drunk from the night before or getting drunk for that <laughs> evening, yeah. however it crosses over. <laughs> I think it'll be proof positive that uh, we endorse afternoon drinking. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, a couple of drinks maybe. Sure. Maybe a Bloody Mary. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, we're promoting our show. Oh, that's right. So we're doing that show on January 15th. Uh, you can go to the SF Sketch Fest website to get tickets. And it's awesome. It's a great, great comedy festival. Lots of awesome shows that weekend. Yeah. And for the following weeks. Yeah. So I, I encourage you like to buy lots of tickets. Just buy ours first. Yeah. And hurry, hurry, because they're selling out fast. No joke. That's not a ploy. That's not a, a marketing ploy. No. They're really selling fast. We get emails every time. Guys, you told me to hurry. I didn't hurry. I'm shut out. And since this uh, promo's petered out, it ends right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And it's just us. We've been abandoned this week. I know. Noel was in there for a second earlier, but... It's like Home Alone. Uh, Boy, I love that movie when it came out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I thought the sequence, the big break-in sequence where he had everything rigged, mm-hmm. that 15 or 20 minutes, I thought that was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. It was a pretty good movie. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Was that a John Hughes movie? Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All that Chicago suburb setting sure. that he loved. Oh, yes, he did. R.I.P. R.I.P. Chicago suburbs. <laughs> no, R.I.P. John Hughes. Oh, I see. That makes way more sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, not too long ago, for sure. Within the last five, I would say. Man, all those great movies. Crybaby, um, <laughs> nope. Pink Flamingos. Nope. Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah. He was good. Oh, wow. He passed away in 2009, so, yeah, seven years ago. What? No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was way more recent than that. Time flies in a world without John Hughes. You know where time doesn't fly, Chuck? At the beginning of our episodes. (laughs) 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 Kind of drags. That's funny. So, uh, today we're talking about the possibility, the potential of living in this modern American life modern world in general without a bank account. Yeah, this is, ended up being a little more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that was the case. It was less interesting than you thought it was going to be? No, no, but I mean, uh, we've had some of those before, like Jackhammers comes to mind. That was better than you no, thought it was going to be? it was the opposite. Yeah. I was like, wait, 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 there has to be more on Jackhammers than this. Nope. And that was your pick. Yeah, it was. They'll forever bear that cross. Yep. So you would think that banks in general, as ubiquitous and huge and powerful and um, gross, out of control as they are, uh, had been around for millions of years, right? 
maybe not millions, <laughs> tens of thousands of years. Oh, sure. Uh, it turns out, actually, that uh, the bank, the concept of the bank as we see it today, is actually only about 500 or so years old. Yes. I would have guessed way older than that. Yeah, and I'm glad this article <laughs> did a little history there, because I, I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, the first actual bank, kind of modern bank that we think of as a bank, was the Bank of St. George, or mm-hmm. the Banco de San Giorgio. Nice. In uh, Genoa, Italy. Or is it Genoa? I've always seen Genoa. <laughs> Genoa? Genoa? Genoa. So that was, um, and, and they point out in this article, that wasn't the f- invention of banking, <clears throat> because banking is different than a bank. Yeah, banking actually did start several thousand years ago. Yeah. As far, as far back as Mesopotamia uh-huh. and Egypt. And uh, this article says that the that grain started to be kept in temples in, in a grain bank. I saw gold. Oh yeah. But the upshot of it was is that these temples that were built were basically sacrosanct. The armies would protect them with their lives. Mm-hmm. So it would just make sense that if you wanted to store something extremely precious and valuable, um, like gold, we'll just put it in a temple. So the earliest. Reserve banks, I guess you could put it, were temples in Egypt and Mesopotamia. And then one, at some point, some of the local people or local rulers came along and said, hey, I really need some money. You guys have tons of gold just sitting in there. Can I borrow some of it? And then I'll give you that amount back plus a little more for letting me borrow it. And they said, what should we call this? (laughs) And they called it banking. Yeah. Do you know where that word came from? No. I don't either. Because they probably didn't call it banking. They probably called it like Sun Crow or something like that. <laughs> so uh, let's go back to 1408 um, in Italy, and this is when Italy had uh, city-states. Oh, wait, I had more. I had more. Oh, you did? Yeah. Sorry. It, it's, it actually is kind of interesting. All right, well, let me fire down the Wayback Machine. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just keep it idling. Okay. Keep the AC on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they So you had the initial banking practices, and they kept developing and developing, and then Greece and Rome really kind of took them and, and went to town with them. <clears throat> and things like um, uh, book transactions, where you could go into a bank in one city and deposit some money, and the bank would handle credit, arranging credit for you in another city, so you didn't have to travel from one city to another, which is very dangerous, with a bunch of money on you. Sure. It's a book transaction. That came from, like, the Greeks and the Romans, and things were going along smoothly, and then Rome fell, and it was replaced by the Holy Roman Empire, which was a Christian empire, and Christianity had this very strict rule against usury, and usury today means extremely high interest rates. Whereas at at the uh, origin of the word, it meant just charging interest at all. So there was no money whatsoever in banking. Um, so there weren't any bankers. Well, the the uh, Jewish faith didn't have any rules against usury. So as the Holy Roman Empire was in in uh, in power for these several hundred years, they fulfilled the banking uh, industry uh, until finally about the I think 13th and 14th century when. Um, like the Italians started to get into it, and they kind of created that that um, modern banking system that we see today. Can I get back in? Yeah. 
Can, I, can we go to 1408? Yes. <laughs> Specifically, March 1408. This is, um, like I teased before, in Italy, this is the, at the time of the city-state um, when you would go to war with one another within your own uh, country. Um, specifically, in this case, uh, Genoa was getting uh, trod upon by Venice. Uh, long, long war with Venice, big rivals. And basically, as what happens many times in war, is it sort of bled that city-state of Genoa dry. Mm-hmm. And it was in bad shape. So these uh, folks got together. The, I did look it up. I can't remember who it was, though. The in- initial investors uh, that started the the Bank of St. George. And they said, hey, let's create this thing. And like literally in a building, uh, it will be a bank. And we can finance repayment of all these war debts uh, and earn a little 7% uh, on top, uh, interest on top of it all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I got a better idea. Why don't we even have the power to go and collect... Uh, city taxes and customs and stuff to make sure we get paid back. And it worked. Yeah. It did. They brought Genoa out of bankruptcy. And apparently the bank went on until the 19th century. Yeah, like 400 years. The Bank <laughs> of St. George. It's really Not cool. Bad. Yeah, it is cool. Um, one of the reasons probably why it was successful is that the people who were overseeing it were directly invested into the bank, like yeah. substantially. Like if you were one of the treasurers, you had to... Um, Invest at least sixteen thousand lira, which is several hundred thousand dollars in today's money. Yeah, um, directly into the bank, right? So, so you wanted to see that bank succeed like crazy because you were directly invested in it. And if the bank went under, you stood to lose quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's not the case with banks today. I mean, companies, and I'm sure including banks too, like their employees to be invested in the company, but certainly. There, it's not a requirement that you have several hundred thousand dollars worth of your company's stock to be a director of the bank. Right. And then the bank itself can very easily be overextended um, just because of what are called reserve requirements, right? Yeah. We should do like a whole episode on banking, by the way. Yeah. Boy, especially that, that <clears throat> big fallout recently with uh, Wells Fargo. Oh, about the fake... Um, the fake accounts? Yeah. Dude, have you seen that ad that they have about it? Oh, no. They have this ad, and it's almost like it, they shaved off the first five seconds where they admit that their people created all these fraudulent accounts, right? And then the ad comes in at everyone who is affected will be fully refunded. We want to gain your trust back. But they never say specifically what they're talking about. Like, they never cop to it. It's bizarre. You know that thing. It makes it stand out like a sore thumb, you know, that they're like... need to say it. Yeah. It's an oily, oily, weaselly ad, and they have it like it's, you know, they've got the Wells Fargo guy like running in the background to distract you and make you think about your childhood playing with stagecoaches and stuff. Yeah, and Elizabeth Warren is somewhere like <laughs> blood dripping out of her eyeballs Yeah, in her or, living room. Yeah, or Elizabeth Warren circa 2010. Right. So, yeah. No, I mean she's watching the commercial and crying blood tears. No, I'm saying Elizabeth Warren circus 2010 would have. I think these days she's like, whatever. No, man, she laid into him. Oh, did she go after him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to see that, that video. It was pretty awesome. Well, good for her. When was that made? Oh, when, when she lambasted him? 
Yeah. Oh, it was right after it happened. It was like, you know, a month, month or two ago. Okay. Because I feel like she was a little more lionized in the last several years than she has been lately. Yeah, I mean, she, she went after specifically, I mean, she just read the riot act to the CEO. That's good. And was like, are you going to give back your bonus money? <laughs> yeah. She's like, this happened on your watch. Why don't you give that money back? He was like, "Who are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But one of, the, one of the things I wanted to say, though, about banks, um, that, that is just such in such stark contrast to the idea where you, you used to have to um, contribute your own money. Um, the reserve requirements of banks. I was looking into this, Chuck. You ready? Yes. If if a if there's a ten percent reserve requirement of um, that a bank has, and they they have a hundred dollars, they can loan out ninety of that hundred dollars to somebody, right? Okay. So they have a ten percent in reserve. Now let's say that that person um, writes a check for that ninety dollars, like they borrowed that hundred bucks. To um to to or they borrowed that ninety bucks to pay off a, a debt, so they write a check for that ninety bucks to somebody who banks with that bank. So that ninety bucks comes right back to that bank, right? They they can loan eighty one dollars, ninety percent of that, and so on and so forth until this one hundred dollar chunk can be like loaned and repaid and loaned and repaid all over the place, which makes sense and it keeps everything kind of going. Um, financially, but the problem is, is if something happens, if a panic sets in, this is why runs on banks are so um, such travesties, and everybody calls in their loan all at once. Well, there's a lot of people who are calling in that one single hundred dollar, hundred dollars. Yeah. Rather than uh, having the time to pay to 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 pay it back, and then call it in from somebody else and use that to pay the other person back, it's just a big cluster all at once. Oh wow. That yeah. makes sense. All right, but that's so, just one of the many interesting things about banks. Yeah, I mean, there are clearly other podcasts that we should tie to this one, I think. Sure. But since this one is about not banking, we'll take a break here, go withdraw our funds, and we'll be right back. Right, so if you live in modern society today, uh, it is pretty tough to get by without a bank. Um, most cases these days, you have, well, I don't know about most cases, but in many cases, you have uh, automatic deposits of your, of your work checks. Sure. Uh, a lot of people pay their bills uh, wirelessly online directly from their bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have a student loan, you might have a car loan, you might have your house mortgage, you might pay your credit card bills. All of this stuff is running through a bank, most likely. And you would think it's probably impossible to not have a bank account these days. Mm-hmm. And I would say pretty much all Americans have them. Not true. Well, no, pretty much all Americans do. Like 93% do. Yeah, but that's not all. <laughs> no, no, it's true. Yeah, 7% of Americans do not have bank accounts. About 9 million people 
uh, last year in 2015 did not have bank accounts. Nine yeah. million people is a lot of people. No, it really is. Um, and apparently that's, that's the not, lowest. That's households. Sorry, not people. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That is a big distinction too. Um, and the FDIC said, man, that's the lowest since we've been tracking this by far. And someone said, well, how long have you been tracking this? They said, well, the last six years. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Which I, I'm like, really? That's when they started tracking it? But apparently so. 2009. Uh, so if you want another number, that's the 9 million American households don't have bank accounts at all. Uh, then there are 25 million households in addition to that. So that makes almost, that's like 34 million households, which that's a substantial number at this point. Sure. Uh, the 25 million are what's called underbanked, uh, meaning they may have a bank account, but they don't use the bank account. Yeah, they don't use it because um, they are probably afraid of overdraft fees or they um, have uh, maybe a bank account that got grandfathered in right. so that they um, don't have to pay minimum amount fees. Um, and who knows? There's all sorts of reasons for people to not use a bank account that they they have, um, but probably chief among them is overdrafts, which we'll talk more about. Yeah, and the majority of these underbanked people in the United States are uh, poor, usually. Um, a lot of times they're minorities. A lot of times they're less educated. Um, and these communities, I mean, there's, there's a few reasons why they may not want to use a bank. One... Maybe they don't trust banks, and if you look in the history of the United States, or certainly even, we were just talking about the Wells Fargo scandal, like when you see stuff like that on the news, um, it should be upsetting to everyone, but obviously if you're poor and you don't have a lot of money, that will that may scare you into not wanting to use a bank at all. Right. You know? Yeah, and another one is that the overdraft fees, which, so... Basically, I guess in 2001, the current overdraft fee idea, scam you could call it, was set up as a way to generate like way more money for banks, right? Yeah. And the way that overdraft fees generate money for banks <clears throat> is when you are overdrafted on your account, they can charge you a fee for covering that amount, right? And then you still have to deposit that amount, but they they don't return your check. They cover they cover your, the check that you paid, but they charge you a fee, say like thirty five dollars for that amount, and it seems fine and dandy and everything's fine. But there's something called clearing checks from high to low, right? Okay, where the bank will clear checks in descending order of value. So if you have a um, hundred dollars in in your bank account. And you have a checkout for $150, a checkout for $25, a checkout for 5 and a checkout for $15, right? Yeah. If they cleared the lower amounts first, and then the last one, only the last one would bounce and create an overdraft fee. Right. If they start with the bigger one, well, you've got an overdraft fee right out of the gate. But then you also have three more because the other smaller checks all bounced as well. And so instead of one overdraft fee, they get to charge you four overdraft fees. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge thing when, when that was finally reported and exposed. And that actually resulted in that um, rule that now you um, either, I think you have to opt in for overdraft protection, whereas before you yeah. had to opt out. Yeah, I remember th- back in the day uh, when I was, 
broke as a back, and I would overdraft things here and there. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I knew nothing about how things worked with finances. Still don't really. But um, I just remember thinking, like, I would rather it say no. You, you like, don't cover me and then right. charge me. Yeah. Just, just say no. You don't have the funds. Right. That's the smart way to do it. So I never understood, like, it, it was like, I think they even called it overdraft insurance, maybe, at the time. <laughs> right. Or I might be making that up. I seem to remember them saying that. And I was like, I don't want that. Like, just to, like th- let the check bounce, and I'll take it up with them. Yeah. The way it was marketed, though, was like, hey, we, we value you. We want to make sure that you can pay all of your bills. So if something happens and you're overdrafted, we'll cover it. We're just going to charge you a fee. And it sounds good, but again, when you go from high to low, and all of a sudden your overdraft fees go from one to four or five or however many, um, you know, that's a huge problem. Well, and the people that are overdrafting and the people that are least able to afford those fees. Exactly. So it's a, a disproportionate burden yeah. on the poor, which makes it, as a scam, one of the more evil scams around. Yes. It's just wrong, man. So, so yeah, the idea that, that if you are... If you open an account, you should not opt in for overdraft protection. And that's easy to say when when you're talking about checks for like, um, you're writing a check for a Mountain Dew and some Cheetos, you know? <laughs> yeah. Who cares if, you, if, you're, if you're short for that? You can go without that. But, you know, when you're talking about like your rent check or like a, an actual grocery bill or something yeah. like that, you know, it, it sucks that, that, that you can't get that stuff. But it's better to have to put a couple things back than to pay $35 for one $2 item that, that you went over by. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And this was, in my case, too, this was also back in the day when you, uh, I mean, a lot of times it was a mystery how much you had in your account. Right. Like, you couldn't just get on your phone and and before you write the check and be like, oh, well, no, I don't have enough money to cover this. Yeah, because even if you balanced your checkbook, sometimes you forgot to carry the one. Like, yeah. it wasn't always 100% accurate. And if you had a life, you didn't necessarily rectify your uh, bank uh, checkbook every day. Oh, wait, what does balancing a checkbook mean? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Thank God for my wife. Um, so another reason you might avoid a bank uh, is philosophically. You may um, you may have – there may be a longstanding distrust of banks in your family that you don't want to put your money in. Or you may just want to be like, you know what? I don't want to take part in this modern society. I want to kind of drop out a, a bit. And a really good first move is to shut your bank account down. That's a big statement. Oh, yeah, it is. You know? Yep. But a lot of people that are underbanked and don't have accounts aren't there on purpose. It's not some philosophical statement. Uh, a lot of times it's simply because uh, they are poor and they don't have a lot of alternatives. Yeah, and the other thing about um, about not having a bank account, not only do you not have a bank account, you also are like basically just avoiding banks altogether. There's plenty of other things that banks offer, like loans and um, mortgages, L- lollipops, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe some free nasty coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, so when you're when you don't have a banking account, that's like the the most basic unit of the banking world, right? If you don't have that, you obviously aren't going to be exposed to all these other things that can help things like um, build your credit history through like a revolving loan 
um, or a mortgage or a car loan or something like that that right. you can build up your credit for and ultimately save money. Um, so when you don't have a bank account for whatever reason, you are effectively out of the banking system. The problem is you can live parallel to the banking system outside of it, but it can be really dangerous, especially if you're just dealing with cash, because that cash has to stay somewhere. And whether it's on you or in your mattress or in a coffee can in your backyard, you're you're exposed for for having that um, readily available to anybody who finds it or comes into your house with a gun to get it. Yes. Which is another thing that sucks. Yeah, there's no insurance for that. You know, if you lose your cash, you lose your cash. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing that people rely on sometimes these days as an alternative source, for a loan at least, is something called a payday lender. Uh, you might have seen these little brick-and-mortar shops with um, with the uh, the neon sign in the window, cash now, available to you, uh, next business day, stuff like that. Um you can you can go to these places. It's a quick application process. Uh, it won't affect your credit score sometimes. Um, they, you know they'll say that if it doesn't. Uh, and you can get money like the next business day if you want three hundred bucks. You can go in there and get three hundred bucks, but you're going to pay a fee on that. Um, and it's big. Uh, they say the fees if you pay back within eight days, it works out. If you if you Put it on a scale of APR, annual percentage mm-hmm. rate of like three hundred and eighty percent, is what you're paying on that loan. I saw one for a hundred dollar loan on CashNet USA's site um, for a one hundred dollar loan, pay back in eight days for their flat fee and the interest. You pay six hundred and eighty four percent. It's one of those things, man. When you see this, and you're like, man, how can you not look at it as? bilking poor people out of more money. Well, some people who uh, use payday lenders say, hey, if you look at this, you, when you look at their rates and terms, it's all laid out. It's not some crazy percentage I have to figure out and come up with compounding interest or anything like that. It is. It, it, it says, if you borrow $100, you have to pay us back $115. There's a fi- like a, a $10 service fee, and then for $100, it's five per- $5 in interest, right? So that's what you owe us is $115. It doesn't require a lot of thought. A lot of um, there's not a lot of wiggle room for them to um, to add more fees or anything like that. It's you know what you have to pay back. But that said, they they very quickly can uh, comprise a, a trap, uh, a payday lending trap that people get caught in, especially when they start rolling over loans. Yeah, and you know when I said it's like hard to not look at it that way, it's because it's it's not like it just feels like hey. These people have their backs up against the wall, and they really need 200 bucks. Exactly. So you can come get it from us, but then, of course, there are an, another complete other set of people that say, yeah, dude, that's the deal. And you know what? Don't use that place then. Right, right. There, the, the thing is, is some people are saying, okay, that's a, that's a valid philosophy, but you need to have an alternative that's fair for people because people need loans. People get overextended. Emergencies come up. There's just things that people need money for legitimately. And you, like they shouldn't have to be preyed upon. So one of the alternatives that's been proposed is to get the regular standard banking industry involved in small um, short-term loans, yes. which is w- what a payday loan is. Yeah. 
Um, and, and pay six to ten times less. Right, exactly. But you would, as far as the bank's concerned, the customer would still be paying way more than what the, the standard APR that a normal bank charges. Right. But to the customer, it'd be way less than what they're paying to the, the payday lending place. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why banks aren't into this yet. I don't know. I got the impression that there might be some regulation that prevents them from being involved uh, or they're just not interested. But that seems to be the key because that also would seem to be a pretty good gateway to getting people who want to have a bank account into the banking um, network Yeah. by starting out with a small, a small loan, you know? You would think so. You would. Um, what else? Prepaid credit cards? Those are more and more popular these days. You can get them at a convenience store. You can load money onto it, use it like a regular old debit card. What did I say? Credit card? Uh, debit card. Right. And it's just what you think it is. Um, here's the deal with those is uh, they are really, really easy to scam. Um, in 2013, the Federal Trade Commission got 85,000 complaints, uh, totaling $43 million in, in scam frauds with debit cards. Um, what do you mean? Like, there's no, they're, they're almost impossible to, to track anything after purchase. Impossible to trace. So, it, it's, it's really easy. It's like a prime opportunity for someone to, to scam someone, like if someone says, "Hey, uh, we request payment from a prepaid credit uh, debit card," mm-hmm. then once they have that information, they can just go use it, and it's not like they have some oh, bank see. behind it that can trace it and track it down. And gotcha. It's 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 just a really easy way to scam people out of money, right? Um, and that's just one of the problems with them. Well, despite that, the um, they've grown incredibly in popularity in the U.S. between 2003 and 2012, the amount deposited on prepaid debit cards went from $1 billion to $65 billion. Between what? 2003 and 2012. Wow. Nine years. Up to $65 billion, right? Holy from cow. $1 billion. Um, and this, this, despite the, the, the easy scammability, but also getting kind of scammed by the people who legitimately run these prepaid debit card companies like apparently there's fees for everything from like loading your card uh, which you usually do at an ATM using an ATM checking your balance um, there's just a lot of additional fees that really kind of quickly sapped the amount of money on your prepaid debit card yeah so fortunately um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau stepped in and as of last month is it December know. yet? Yeah, tomorrow. Okay. So as of October of 2016, there's new rules that say that if you are a prepaid debit card company, you have to disclose your terms up front. Uh-huh. You have to let people um, find out their balance for free, um, cut down on some of the fees. They have to op- They have to be able to um, have the option to not have overdraft charges, overdraft protection. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot more regulated now as of last month. Yeah, but I wonder what if it's the same thing as like banking. If they they're like, sure, we'll disclose that in a fifty-page document. Yeah, and that no one ever reads. Yeah, like I, what they need to do is say how they need to disclose this. Yeah, that's true. There's some guys to come to your house, <laughs> maybe bring a little dinner. Yeah, that'd be and, nice. And just tell you straight up. Uh, all right, I got a little worked up, so I'm gonna go splash my face with eggnog, <laughs> okay. and I'll be right back after this. 
All right, Chuck. So, let's say that you don't feel like getting scammed by anybody. Nope. You just want to be free. Yeah. Uh, what what can you do? What are some of the things you can do? Well, um, there are a few things that you can do. You can try an alternative currency. Okay. So, like, be, if you want to be really weird, Canadian dollars is <laughs> what you mean. No, I'm talking about. Well, we've talked about Bitcoin. Um, we is that even still a thing? Did that go out? No, no, it's still very it? much a thing. Yeah. Okay, I didn't. Know. I think it's just maturing and growing gotcha. constantly. So we did an episode on Bitcoin, but I had no idea that there are alternative currencies in communities all over the world, but right here in the U.S. I had no idea, and it's a really cool thing. I think. Yeah, like Berkshires. You looked into Berkshires, right? Yeah, Berkshires, very clever name because it is Western Massachusetts and the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. Launched in 2006. Uh, they have 16 branch offices and four local banks that support uh, where you can actually get a Berkshire, uh, trade in your money for Berkshires. Um, 400 participating businesses. That's great. So here's here's what it is. And in fact, I'm, I'm even going to read directly from their website because it just makes a lot more sense. It can get a little convoluted. Can we get some background music here, Jerry? <laughs> you probably should. Something berkshire So there's a 5% discount, and here's how it works. They follow $100 uh, through a day to explain it. So wait, you, wait. Tell, tell us when you start the quote. All right, ready? Here we go. You go to a bank and you purchase your Berkshires because you want to go to a restaurant that night, let's say. Uh, you go in with 95 U.S. dollars, and you say, I would like to exchange this. So they give you 100 Berkshires back. Mm. Yeah, right? So you go to your dinner. Your dinner's, let's say, 100 bucks, right on the nose. Uh, the restaurant takes your Berkshires, takes all 100 of them. Mm. You pay your whole bill in your Berkshires. And so you have actually spent 95 U.S. dollars for a $100 meal. So you've gotten your little 5% discount. Nice. Then the owner of that restaurant has that 100 Berkshires. They want to deposit that for real money. Uh, or let's just say U.S. dollars. Okay. Return them to that bank. They bring them to the bank. The bank deposits that hundred Berkshires and gives the restaurant the ninety-five dollars, the same ninety-five bucks that you exchange. So in the end, you get that five percent discount uh, because all because of that initial exchange. That same ninety-five dollars you traded for the Berkshires goes to the business where you spin it. Yeah, so sense? yeah, and that's that's the key to this whole alternative hyper local currency is that it, it it's intended to keep goods and services and and uh, within the community. Yeah, because you can't go spend a Berkshire anywhere else, but no. the Berkshires they'll say, "What is this weird looking bill?" Yeah, what are you from the future or something? And it's actually very cool looking. It's not weird looking. I'm sure. I looked it up. The one Berkshire unit is. Uh, uh, Mahican, the original inhabitants of the Berkshires. Nice. Uh, the five is W.E.B. Dubois. Wow. Uh, born in Barrington. Uh, the ten is Robin Van N., uh, co-founder of the uh, community-supported agricultural movement, Indian Line Farm. This just keeps getting better. The twenty is Herman Melville. 
Awesome. Author of Moby Dick, of course. The 50 is Norman Rockwell. Neat. And is it a Rockwell painting of Rockwell? No, it's just Rockwell. Okay. And uh, then the, the 1,000 Berkshire is... <laughs> it's, a, it's a photo of him <laughs> drunk on a couch? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the 1,000 Berkshire is uh, John Hodgman. <laughs> <laughs> He's a national treasure, not just a Berkshire treasure. No, I'm just kidding. There is no 1,000. But it's cool. They have their own money, and it's like... It just is a really, really cool thing. Like you're spending, there's, like I said, 400 participating businesses. So it seems like a, a really successful program. Yeah. And there's a lot of others. There's the Toronto dollars, Salt Spring dollars, Ithaca hours. Uh, but the Berkshire seems to be like one of the m- more robust programs. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard of it before. I hadn't heard of the other ones. I think Detroit has one as well. Um, but the Berkshires I'd heard of before, so it must be doing pretty well. Well, and this is nothing new. In the early, like into the early 1900s, local currencies were a big thing. Oh yeah, like every bank could legally print money before the federal government finally said, eh, eh, "No, we're really the only ones who can print money." And there were, I think, like a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand or some ridiculous amount of currencies in the United States up until like the 1860s. Yeah, that's crazy. What about the M-Pesa? Have you heard of that before? I hadn't heard of that, but it's it's really pretty cool as well. So M-Pesa is, stands for Mobile Pesa. Pesa uh, means um, money in Swahili. Yeah. And it's this kind of new alternative currency that's um, come up in Kenya in the last few years, right? Yeah, M is for it, mobile. Right, right. I forgot that part. Yeah, it's very key. Um, so in Kenya, most people don't have bank accounts, but they do have cell phones, and they rely on cash a lot. Well, as we said before, cash can be very dangerous. There's all sorts of bad guys out there who need or want cash for their own, but don't feel like you know going out and doing anything for it aside from robbing somebody, right? Yeah. So cash is dangerous no matter where you are, <clears throat> and uh, M-Pesa gets around that by... Allowing the, the people with the cell phone, I think it's the country's um, biggest cell phone provider uh, who's created this. And you can go to one of the cell phone company's kiosks. There's like 100,000 of them around the country. And you can say, here's some money. I'd like it deposited as credits on my phone. And all of a sudden, you have a phone full of money. Well, the cool thing is you can take that money and transfer it via text to somebody else's phone. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You go load up your money or your phone with some money at a kiosk, and then it's up to you to spend that money however you want. And you can use your phone to pay things like um, for groceries, for water, for goods and services, all using your phone. It's basically what everyone who's thinking about the future of money thinks of when they think of the future of money. That there's not going to be dollars or anything like that. It's all going to just be credits associated with your name. In this case, with the M-Pesa in Kenya, it's associated with your phone number. Yeah, and it's a big deal now. It's not just in Kenya. It's in uh, Tanzania, Mozambique, Egypt, uh, Lesotho, Ghana, India, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, and then even in a couple of Eastern European countries now, Albania and Romania. Mm. They don't think it'll spread west, but you never know. It's a much bigger deal than anyone thought it was going to be, I think. Well, supposedly, the, 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 there's a big push to keep it from spreading westward by the banking industry because one of the things that makes it so attractive is there's really low overhead involved in this. Yeah. And so the, the, um, 
cell, the cell phone company is charging very little interest or fees. So it's way cheaper to, to borrow or get or use money through the M-Pesa system than it is through traditional banks. Apparently, M-Pesa is just kicking their butts all over the place. Yeah, and of course, what has happened then is that the banking lobby has started uh, barking all over the world to block right. uh, things like M-Pesa from coming into their markets. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, because yeah. they would just completely undermine them. And again, this is basically the future of money, that there's credits associated with your name. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you if you bank virtually online... Um, where you you're, get your paycheck electronically and you uh-huh. pay your bills um, over over websites and all that, like that's you're already there basically. It's just dressed up to kind of look like what you think of as money too. Yeah. But it's still it's just credits and numbers associated with your name and in this case bank account numbers. Yeah. This is just with your phone and it also removes the bank because it puts it on your phone, so it's up to you uh, a lot more. Closely. Yeah, shout out to our our episode on uh, currency. Yes, that was a good one. Shout out. Uh, so then there's this other thing. If you want to get a little more hippy dippy, even <laughs> um, if you thought Berkshires were crunchy, <laughs> yeah, prepare exactly. for this. Yeah, get ready for time banking. Uh, time banking is a thing where you uh, it's a given ex- uh, a give and take an exchange of services, with the core principle being it's all equal. So if I babysit for your kid, you build my deck, and the hours are the same. That the, the value per hour is the same. Right. No matter what you're doing. It's a value. It's a, an hour of your time and effort. So it sounded kind of cool. It's like a, a barter service exchange where basically all you have to do is get people to agree on that core principle mm-hmm. and then – you have kind of the same cool thing going on in your in your community. Um, so I went to their website, and there's these little there's a map you can view by map, like the places where you can time bank. And I clicked on, boy, I feel like I clicked on about fifty of them, and none of them had any activity within like three or four years. I could see that. So I don't know if time banking took off. <laughs> Like they thought. And so then I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm looking in the wrong places. I was like, let's go to like Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> right. And sure enough, Burlington had uh, had some time banking going on in like the last week. Okay. But other places in Vermont didn't. I was like, let me go to some really crunchy towns. And a couple of them looks like they were still using it, but it doesn't look like, I don't know when this article is written, but I'm not sure how viable it still is. Well, I mean, I like the the sentiment. Yeah, as um, a concept, it's cool. But but I mean, is is are all hours of or all types of effort equal? Though well, you know, if you agree that they are, they are. I mean, yeah, sure. In that case, for sure. But I, I it just seems ripe for introducing like um, sure. leechers and and hard feelings and yeah, resentment yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, a guy is like, well, you fix my fridge, uh, I'll. Uh, I'll watch your driveway. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I'll stand out there and watch it, make sure it's good. I'm a driveway watcher. It's an hour. Did you, you can't say, challenge. Did you say washer? No, no, no. Watcher. Right. Rain shower said we can't challenge each other's hours. <laughs> uh, and then we got to finish up with this dude, Mark Boyle, the moneyless man. Yep. He, Which I, I thought this was pretty admirable. Yeah, he's he's written a couple of books. One called... 
I think the first one was called The Moneyless Man, colon, A Year of Free Economic Living. Then a more recent one called... What Have I Done? The, <laughs> then a more recent one called The Moneyless Manifesto, uh-huh. uh, both of which are available for purchase, I noticed. <laughs> but the money doesn't go to him. They just dump it into a landfill. No, it goes to him. But in his... Uh, I don't want to slag him. He does offer it completely free online. Oh, that's cool. If you want to read it for free, uh, it said, or if you'd like to support the author, you can buy the paperback for twenty one ninety five. So he was, um, he basically just said, I'm going to live without money for three years. Yeah, it's like an experiment. He's like, uh, you ever heard of A.J. Jacobs? Is that the guy who traded up from a paperclip to a house? No, he's just, uh, he's a writer in, uh, in New York that has done, um, I mean, I think they call it stunt writing. Which cheapens it a bit, I think, because he's awesome. But um, yeah, he'll do things like he he did one called the the year of living biblically, where he completely just lived according to the Bible's practices and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So AJ like is probably down with this Mark Boyle guy, except gotcha. AJ lives in New York, so he wouldn't live moneyless. No, I don't. Yeah, he Mark Boyle went out to the woods, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, AJ listens to the show. Oh, oh, hey AJ, well, how's so, it going? Yeah. Um, so this Mark Bo- who Mark Boyle may listen to the show. Who knows if it is free? Um, but he uh, he went out and lived in the woods and sustained himself through farming, foraging, sure, and bartering, right? And um, he basically just said like like money doesn't exist to me. Not like uh, you could give me money and I can use it for something like that. Like he just didn't use money at all. And apparently he said he was way happier during this time. Like, it made him more creative. He had to get by with his personality or on his personality, so he had to make sure it was a good one. Yeah, that one, that really jumped out at me as something beneficial. Like, I didn't think about that. Like, he literally was like, my currency was was me and my character. Right. And how, like, how can you not work on that if that's what you're counting on? Yeah. Can't be a jerk to everybody, right? You know, you gotta like, you gotta be a good person. Yeah, no one wants to give a jerk a free bag of carrots. <laughs> you know, that's a t-shirt. Sure, he's Irish, by the way, too, which means he's a great person. Yeah, right. Maybe he was at our show in Dublin. Uh, that wasn't free. No, I guess he could have snuck in. Does theft count? I wouldn't mind. <laughs> he would have had to have explained himself, though. We, we take stowaways. <laughs> we do. Sure. Don't encourage that. <laughs> You're like, uh, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Uh, let's see. Don't feed your babies junk food or alcohol. Wise words across the board. Yes. No matter the episode. Agreed. Uh, if you want to know more about living without a bank account, you can type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said uh, how stuff works, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, <clears throat> cool email from Cool Kid. Hey guys, I am Ryan uh, Gunsiorowski. <laughs> I'm 16 years old. I've been listening to your show um, since 2010 when I was just 10 years old. Cool Kid. Uh, absolutely. I wanted to email you guys for so long um, and I'm finally doing that. Uh, I found your sh- show through my cousin and when I first started listening, I downloaded all the podcasts to my small iPod, all it could hold. I listened almost every night before I go to sleep, uh, or to go to sleep, with wonderful learning and entertainment that you two are masters of. That's a, I like this kid all over the place. I do, too. Uh, last year, you came to Philadelphia for the live show, 
on public relations, and I was there. Uh, I was in awe to see you do your show live. Uh, when I was uh, there, it got me thinking I should complete my task of emailing both of you. So he came up with an idea on how to share his story with how he's diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Uh, on August 7, 2014, he said, With that came a different uh, world than the one I knew before. It was tough, but I knew that others with type 1 have had it so much harder than I. Uh, I'm doing well, and I'm healthy, which is something I'm proud of. Another reason I'm writing is maybe you could uh, take this on as a topic. Maybe a two-parter, type 1 is one part, and type 2 is another. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. A uh, reason I want to make that request is that a lot of people don't understand the difference between the two. And you two being the best at explaining things that I know, I thought you could totally explain it excellently. Man, this kid has mastered flattery. <laughs> he's the he's, best. He's good. I like this guy a lot. Uh, you have shaped my mind. Uh, you two have shaped my mind from the very start. Keep doing what you're doing and keep being the best. Much love, uh, Ryan Gunsierowski from Pennsylvania. Thanks a lot, Ryan. We appreciate that. And P.S. If uh, you want to put this on Lister Mail, I wouldn't mind. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> what a cool guy. Yeah, he, he's a cool dude. Uh, Ryan, we appreciate it. We will put that on the great list of ideas, and maybe we'll do that one day. Yeah, and you know what, Ryan? If we ever come back and do a show in Philly or anywhere near you that you can get to, you, my friend, are on the guest list. Ooh, nice. You'll just have to remind us of that by writing us and saying, <laughs> hey, give me free tickets in the subject yeah. line. Chuck will be like, wait, who are you? <laughs> no. You'll have to show us some ID, though, because there's so many people who will try to fake it now. Yes, and you will probably have to come with your parent, and that'll probably be who the tickets are left under. Okay, so we've hammered all this out, huh? <laughs> this is a thrilling end to this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like cool dude Ryan did, uh, you can tweet to us. I'm at Josh Um Clark. And then the official SYSK one is SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant or Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 